Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Who or what is the Kentucky Wild Man? What is the mysterious Panther Rock? What is it? that could rip the ears off a cow. Hey there, and welcome to the 238th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. But before we welcome our guest, it's time for, well, everybody knows what time it is. If you've never listened to the show, it is our weekly paranormal contest. So last week's question was, what famous UFO incident occurred off the coast of eastern Canada in 1967? Well, Bob Croteau of, uh, Croto of Cumberland, Rhode Island, was the first to get the correct answer, the Shag Harbor, Nova Scotia UFO incident. Uh, pretty strange, as it involved the military and the RCMP searching for evidence of a UFO that apparently landed in the water and moved down the coast while submerged. Very little information has ever been made public about this case. Uh, we, uh, Ben and I, have family in that area, but we have no inside information. They were actually in the UFO. So <laughs> Probably. This week's question is tougher. So what Mexican sky watcher is credited with taking the first known photograph of a flying humanoid? So get that right and win a copy of The Wild Man of Kentucky, The Mystery of Panther Rock by tonight's guest. So call us locally at 401-766-1240 or nationally at 800-449-1240. If nobody gets the answer before the end of the show and you still think you have a shot, drop a line to me at ben at the at behindtheparanormal.com. Philip Spencer is an investigative researcher in the world of strange animals and paranormal activity. He is the author of the book and the DVD, The Wild Man of Kentucky, The Mystery of Panther Rock, and has worked with Monster Quest on the History Channel. Philip has appeared on numerous radio shows worldwide and is the owner of Back River Productions, a multimedia company in Hampton, Virginia. Philip grew up in Anderson County, Kentucky. Quote, blessed or cursed with an insatiable curiosity for everything, his words, he has been seeking the answers to the mysteries of life, death, and the paranormal since childhood. A 30-year veteran investigator, he has amassed a huge number of case files from around the world, including ghosts to aliens to Bigfoot. And Bigfoot, of course, is one of his preferred areas of research. The Wild Man of Kentucky, the Mystery of Panther Rock, is set in Phillips' native Anderson County, where, they have, where there have been many sightings of this creature. The narrative entails... I should entrails the narrative entails these sightings and much more, including what Philip believes is the most active one of the most active paranormal places in the nation, also known as the Fraser Land. And no, we don't mean Fraser the show. Okay, now well, I'll get into that later. Uh, and his websites include www.philipspencer, Philip with one L, philipspencer.net, and www.backriverproductions.com. We'll get more details on where you can get the book and DVD a little bit later. All right, so Philip Spencer, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Uh, thanks, guys. Great to be here. Oh, it's always a pleasure to, to have someone new on the show. So, Philip, who or what is the Kentucky Wild Man? Well, the, the Wild Man of Kentucky is a playoff on the word wild man. And the, the word wild man has been used for many, many years, even back into ancient times in Europe, as a word to describe uh, Bigfoot. 
as a wild man. Now, uh, I actually think sometimes this might have referred to feral people as a wild man, but the connotation in regards to uh, Bigfoot is certainly there. I knew, I knew there was an explanation having to do maybe with feral ghost hunters, what we refer to them. Yeah, they're only from Kentucky, though. So, have you ever seen it yourself? Yes. Yes, right. I had a sighting in 1970 in Anderson County. And um, it wasn't just a brief glance. It was a sighting that lasted minutes. And I had a very high-powered spotlight on the preacher. And I watched it walk through a lowland river area. It's known as a river bottom. And um, it's when something like this happens and you see this creature, it certainly changes you forever. It it, it just has an effect on you that's hard to explain. Uh, uh, it's like you just can't stop wanting to know more. Um, I'm way past trying to make anybody believe it exists. I'm, I am i don't care if they do or don't. Uh, I know it does. I'd just like to know what exactly, specifically, is this creature and just know more about it because it's very real. So how long has it been reported, like from what years? I think it was maybe in 1811, somewhere like that was one of the first reports uh, there was a Reverend, Elia, uh, I'm trying to think how you say his name, Elkaha Walker, 1840 was one of the earliest reports. Um, and they've just consistently come in over the years, uh, much more prevalent as the population increased, of course. And as the population increases, of course, I think the population of the Sasquatch uh, depletes. Okay. Philip, can you describe, when you encountered this creature, what, what was the reaction of the creature to you? Now, how far away were you? I would say we were approximately 100 yards or so. Okay. And this was late at night. All right. Uh, we had a spotlight. We were looking through a, a, a valley. And it was, it, what was so strange about this? And I've, I've told this before. Of course, the, the seeing this creature, this huge creature, uh, just in, puts you know impacts a vision in your mind forever. But what really struck me as so odd was the field was full of deer, and the deer, when when the creature turned to walk away, the deer just shuffled away. They didn't panic. They didn't freak out. They didn't go berserk. They just all at the very, if you've ever been out in the country and walked into a whole bunch of chickens, chickens do this same thing. They all just move away at once together. Yeah, they do. Well, that's exactly what the deer did. They did that. It was just the strangest thing to be witness to. And the, the creature walked away. It walked until it got to a fence three or four feet uh, of height, and it just went across across the fence like it wasn't even there. It was within its stride and vanished into the dark. That's extremely interesting. Now, 300 yards, I mean, you weren't exactly in the front seat together, but did did you have, and with your experience, you probably know what I'm getting at here, did you have any feelings of an electrical tingle on your skin? Did Mm -hmm. did you have a, um, 
a moment of of darkness? Did you you know you know what I'm saying? What, no, what happened to you physically no. and psychologically? But I, no, from a psychological perspective, uh, we we were 100 yards or so away from it, not 300. And oh, I'm sorry, you said about 300 feet. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. And there was someone with me, uh, and we were just frozen. And we were both very much experienced outdoor guys. I mean, we were in rural Kentucky, and we grew up there. I mean, you know, outdoors was just as natural to us as anything. That's where we spent all our time. But we we were just sort of frozen. We just sat there. Uh, I had the spotlight up over the top of the car, pointing it down through there. We were sitting in a very remote area late at night, and we were just frozen. And once it disappeared into the darkness we just sat there and we looked at each other for i think maybe a minute what time but what time was this uh 2 a.m 2 a.m okay about 2 a.m yeah all right and uh, you saw the deer i assume in, well so to speak the deer in the headlights with the light you said you had on this creature right that's what we that's were how you saw we the deer to, yeah we just love to, to look for animals at night. Okay. Um, that was just something we liked to do. We were just country guys out riding around at night looking at animals and seeing what we could see. And this this night, we certainly saw something that we never, ever forgot. Okay. Did it make any sound? No. Okay. There were no sounds. However, being so you brought that up, uh, uh, several years later, in this same area, not... 50 yards or so from where I had the sighting, there is a very, there's an old rock road that we had named River Road. And there's very steep, uh, hills to the side, up to the, from the side of the road. And I had something happen there. And I can't say it was the same creature. To me, it was. But I had an encounter there that was not visual, but it was it was stunning as to what happened. Um, I was just walking down the road, an old road going fishing, and all of a sudden a deer came down off that hillside. I've never ever seen a deer so terrified in my life. It came burst. It was a huge doe, and it came down the hill. It burst across the road right in front of me. <laughs> it jumped. It I don't know, 10, 10 feet down into a field over a, a bank, and it ran across this field, huge field, where the creature I'd seen, actually, that was the location. It, When I last saw it, it was still running as it hit the river. I, and I thought, what in the what has happened to that deer? And about that time, up to my right and up on the hill, I heard steps. But they were heavy steps. And I could tell it was a, a, a bipedal creature. Mm-hmm. I listened to the steps. And as I stood there, of course, my mind was going, you know, what's going to happen here? That Whatever that is, is big. I can hear it walking and thudding the ground. And anyway, I moved on down the road. I tried to see what was going on. It had come down before I got to this place to make the story short. I did find a huge, a big log where it apparently had put its foot down and pushed that log as it came down the hillside and apparently vanished back up a creek bed. 
behind a little little shack. Uh, I didn't see anything. I could not tell anything distinctly from the area where the log was pushed. But I know this. Whatever this was absolutely terrified that deer. I mean, I, re- I remember the look in that deer's eyes. I was that close to it. And it was a huge doe. And it was, it was a, something big. Hmm. One of the questions that might arise is why was that deer frightened and the ones in the field when you saw the creature there, presume, assuming Absolutely it was the same? Absolutely correct. I have thought about that <laughs> so many times in my life. Why was that deer terrified? And here was at least maybe 30 deer within 10 feet of this creature, and they were just grazing and just kind of shuffled away. I've thought about that so many times. I mean... I am so, I'm, I'm a proponent of the, um, idea that, that I think Bigfoot's an omnivore. And, but I think, you know, the deer are there and you'll find that when the deer come in to areas in the late fall, you'll get many more reportings, more sightings. So I think they do hunt the deer, but I don't know. I, I don't know why that deer was so terrified. Like hmm. I say, I didn't see the creature. I always thought that's what it was up on that deer. Well, it might have been after the deer. I mean, the, the, where is yeah, it? That's just, what I think. Yeah. You know, but the, like you say, why weren't those deer in that field absolutely terrified? Is it possible that, that Sasquatch could have actually just eased up in there? Could it be, you know, it's hard to imagine something of this size, um, of being stealthy enough to, to ease up into 30 deer? Mm-hmm. And be that close, and then of course, all of a sudden, a couple of guys riding around late at night hit it with a spotlight, uh, and everything changes. Unless they couldn't see it. That's right. Unless they couldn't see it. Um, I don't know. I, I believe me. I put many hours into thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, I imagine have Philip. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I did see, by the way, the uh, the trailer for uh, the DVD that you, you, you can talk about a little bit later, and it's uh, really very exciting. And there was a recording of a sound on that, which is really quite chilling. Can you tell us about? Uh, oh, the the Fraser Howl. Um, the Fraser Howl. Okay. Yes, the Fraser Howl. That's what I called it. Um, the one of the areas out in the Fraser Land. Uh, is owned by a man that I refer to as the ex-farmer. There was so much unusual activity on his place. We found a 20-inch track, just so many things. That that was the, the Bigfoot track. Then there was another very strange animal track found that was actually the catalyst for this whole project. But I left a very small recorder uh, with him. Uh, we had been there filming. We did the movie, etc. But I left that with him, and it had a small omnidirectional mic that I'd bought to put on it. And I said, he lived in a cabin back off the road. Um, had over 100 acres of land. And I told him, I said, um, if you hear something, grab this and record it. Well, a month or so later, that paid off. One night, he was outside, and heard this just haunting, moanful howl, and he grabbed the little recorder and he recorded it. Um, you can listen to that uh, on my website, www.philipspencer.net or, or philipspencer.com, and it's the Fraser Howl, and 
I, I've had it analyzed by some reputable uh, individuals and institutions, and to this day, no one can say what made that. Wow. Um, but I, I, I've had some of the strangest responses uh, on other shows about this where people said it, that their animals, when they played this, their animals actually went wild. Hmm. You know, their cats, hmm. their dogs acted strange. But if everyone takes time to go to my page and listen to that, also try to do it with headphones late at night in the dark. Uh, you'll enjoy that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the listen to his dogs. And just remember this about these dogs. These are just old, rough, tough country farm dogs. They're not afraid of anything that walks the face of the earth. That's their house. That's their land. And that's the way dogs like that are. Mm. You come on their property I mean, he had to put one of the dogs up when we were there filming for a week. That, that's just the way the dog was about people being around the property or anything. But when this, whatever this was, starts, this how, these dogs, he, he told me, the ex-farmer said he had never, ever seen them act like that. They just looked in that direction and they kept tilting their heads and perking their ears up. And then on the recording, you can actually hear them whimpering a little. It's like they were, he said the same thing. It sounds like they were confused. And this sound was, I think, 300 and 300 so yards away and 100 yards down into a valley is where the sound was coming from. Uh, it's definitely a very strange sound. Really, yeah. Well, again, the... Uh philipspencer.com, philip with one L, uh, or .net, and uh, it's really, I, we, I've listened, I don't know about you, Ben, but I've listened to it, and it uh, yeah, shakes you up a little bit, it really does. Yeah. I yeah. have not listened to it, I will admit that now, I have not listened to it, because <laughs> the only thing that I've listened to that's really creepy is probably the bloop, but that's about it. Oh yeah, that's pretty strange too. Well anyway, Philip, uh, what, obviously since 1811 hasn't been this one creature, I mean, that, that's, you know, the whole, the Loch Ness paradox, you know. Well, right. how many? What size of population do you expect? Uh, would you expect should these creatures be located? Mm, uh, interesting question. I'm getting ready to write an article on that very topic. Ah. Um, Doctor uh, uh, Melvin, he has speculated that there's 500 to maybe 750 of the uh, of the creatures existing. In North America, and I'm not sure if he included uh, the Canadian provinces or so forth, but I personally think that that's very much in the ballpark, 500 maybe, or less. I, I see this as a as a creature who is in its demise. Hmm. Um, just as with, you know, people, the, the, the connotation in people's minds, the psyche that's been implanted by just the overall cumulative... Uh, stories and tales of Bigfoot is a big, rough, outdoor animal. And I guess there's a certain concept, I mean perspective, that that would be true. But the fact of the matter is, I think this is a delicate creature that is in very, very much environmentally sensitive. And as we encroach further and further into the wilderness, as, as we are going to do, we are truly, truly... Uh, bringing this creature to an end. Well, the housing uh, market keeps up this way. The creature has nothing to worry about. Oh, that's uh, very true, too. Yeah. It may be more land available than we thought. The population yeah. may explode here before long. 
<laughs> well, that's it. So uh, now we come to the classic. I'm sorry, I don't, Ben, you have anything to speak up here, but I, I, now we come to the classic questions. Why no, well, or maybe, maybe this is not the case. Why no hair? Why no droppings? Why no bodies? Where is, well, is the classic uh, Boggy Creek question, where does the creature go? <laughs> well, the one thing about the, the hair and so forth, um, there has been some, some findings here and there with some kind of interesting DNA evidence and so forth. Now, as for why is there no body, uh, I don't really have a trouble. I, I, there are some aspects of that. At, at one time, I think there was a flourishing population, uh, and I do have to wonder if there was a at, at that time, though, I think you have to realize there probably wasn't that many uh, uh, of us around. Native Americans, yes. Um, but, you know, it, how often do you see a bear carcass or a bobcat carcass or a cougar uh, or just even get a visual on these animals? You don't. Now, the question comes back, well, if this is an eight or nine foot tall uh, mammal existing in the woods, how can this be? I, I have to say that uh, that's a valid question. I still wonder about it, but the decomposition and what, the, what nature itself can do to a, a corpse um, is stunning. Very true. It, it, mm-hmm. it can be gone in no time. Mm-hmm. It, it's stunning what happens, but uh, that, that is a valid question. I understand why it's asked, and it's just my thoughts that nature takes care of that. Um, I would say maybe they have been found a few times, um, and people don't know what to do about it. There's, there's many varying stories up through the years uh, of sightings, and they're coming in more and more and more now. Mm-hmm. And Actually, this is the year. 2011 may just be the year when the world uh, finds out about Bigfoot in a way it never has before. Well, you may just be right. Now, we're going to take a commercial break now sure. for a few moments, and we're going to, uh, we'll be right back on WON 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley with Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and our guest, Philip Spencer. Stay with us. Saludos amigos, this is Vic Ramos. I'm just stopping in to tell you about my new program on this station called That Bilingual Show. See, you heard me right. It's a bilingual show and it's live and vivo on Friday evenings from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. With everything from salsa to Sinatra. It's me and That Bilingual Show right here on 1240 WON Radio. ON Radio. ON Okay, and before we get back to our guests, I just wanted to remind you that e-books are becoming an attractive alternative to expensive printed books, magazines, and newspapers. And your best deal in e-books is the Amazon Kindle e-book reader. You've probably heard about that. It's now priced as low as $189. used to be, what, a 495 or something yeah, when it first that. came out. You can get over 900,000 books, newspapers, and magazines electronically delivered right to your fingertips. No more shipping charges, no more $4 a gallon drive to the bookstore, no more bulky and environmentally unfriendly packaging to get rid of, and read the books you love for as much as half the cost of the printed editions. 
Books available on Amazon Kindle include four of my own books, and they include The Popular Footsteps in the Attic, which at the moment is not available in stores until it's reprinted later this year, uh, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, Faces at the Window, and Under My Historian's Hat, Rhode Island, A Genial History, which I co-authored with Emmy Award-winning TV journalist Glenn Laxton. So check out Amazon Kindle and the Amazon Kindle store at Amazon.com today. It's a great Mother's Day gift, Amazon.com. Oh, that's right. It's Mother's Day next weekend. Yes. We should watch The Legend of Broggy Creek for Mother's Day. Oh, well, Mom would love that. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, we are back behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and com, And we're talking with Philip Spencer, filmmaker, author, uh, renaissance man in the paranormal here. And also we're talking specifically about the wild man of Kentucky, Sasquatch appearances in that uh, marvelous state, which we visited uh, oh, a few years ago. A while back. Yeah, Jonathan complained there were um, they too were many horses. He said they made the horses wear. No, no, no. They made the cows wear horse suits. Is that true, Philip? <laughs> <laughs> Only on late night Saturday night. No, I see. Okay, so I wanted to get back. Let's go a little deeper now into this question. Um, let's start with the question. Uh, tell us about Panther Rock. Uh, Panther Rock is a cave that's located in Anderson County, Kentucky, and it has a, a fascinating history. There are many tales associated with it that are um, somewhat of the paranormal nature. Um, lights have been seen there that no one can explain. I personally saw lights at this location that I have zero explanation for. Never seen anything like it in my life. Um, but it just seems that all these events that go on out in the Fraser land happen around this cave in some regard. Now, there's also the other side of that coin. One could say, well, geographically speaking, if you work things right, everything could happen around a certain uh, specific geographical location. But with, the, with the, the long history and mysterious nature of this cave, the, the uh, sightings, of all these different types of animals, upright, walking, wolf-like creatures, um, a 700-pound cow uh, attacked and its ears ripped off to the bone and its eye ripped out and its back shredded, um, the, the events on the, on the uh, ex-farmer's land. And to this day, I, am, I have active cases pouring out of this area. And there's been 11 sightings of uh, Bigfoot in in the Anderson County area. And so the cave is absolutely gorgeous. Well, it's on private property, and the owners would prefer people to not go back there, and that's understandable. But it, it's, it's a fascinating and mysteriously alluring uh, place. Okay, uh... What we get, what we're getting at here is that at least our paranormal work is kind of unusual. We base it on the multiverse theory. All our listeners are very familiar with that concept at this point. They ought to get. Uh, They'll be able to recite every show we've ever had on the multiverse, like by heart. <laughs> yeah. So the idea is, and it's not just us who thinks this. That it is one possibility that these are interdimensional creatures, which would explain, at least to some degree, why you might not find. Uh, artifacts, so to speak. Uh, do you have, and, and the very idea that you have so many different kinds, seemingly unrelated paranormal phenomena going around, going on around the, the Panther Rock area, the cave area, uh, has that ever 
occurred to you as a possibility? Oh, oh absolutely. I am a proponent of multiple dimensions. Okay. I followed the work of Michio Kaku and others uh, who work in theoretical physics, and Kaku has actually shown mathematically uh, in a theory and not a hypothesis that multiple dimensions are very real. Oh, yeah. And so I have given that thought, but I'll also be honest about this. I I try not to use that, that, that theory as an excuse or an easy way out. I hope that makes sense. It's a good I, point. Yeah. I, I, you know, the creature that I saw was flesh and blood. That that's my thoughts on on the creature I saw. But those lights that I saw coming out of that cave, I have no explanation for what was going on there. It made zero sense. There was no logic to this, and. So, is this just a handy explanation that all these creatures are coming through a portal? Well, you know, honestly, guys, it could be. I mean, I'm not one to close doors. I'm not going to shut down. Uh, you know, I sit and listen to reports constantly, and, and I take what people say seriously, and, and they can tell me the craziest thing that's ever been told in the world, and I'm not going to laugh at them or shun them or turn them away. I'm going to just listen to what they say and, and, and take it in. And so to me, the, the dimensional uh, properties and aspects of something like this, they're viable to me as anything else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's that's very well put. I, I, Ben's got some questions here, too. Sure. But uh, I wanted to uh, just ask you, uh, you, you refer to yourself, unless I'm mistaken, as a Fortean misfit. Now, let, let me just... <laughs> <laughs> Explain. Uh, For, Charles Fort was an uh, American by right. birth, and he uh, was was a great collector, uh, probably of all time, the greatest collector of odd events. Uh, he would sit yeah. in museums and, for, uh, including the British <laughs> Museum, and just just go through newspapers and, and accounts. And uh, mm-hmm. th- that when it, we, the word Fortean is used, it refers to things like Charles Fort would 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 do or or find. So why do you call yourself a Fortean misfit? Well, it's kind of a little play on own words and so forth. I know exactly what you're saying. But I've been through the gauntlet, uh, ghost, aliens, uh, cryptic creatures, uh, the odd, the strange, the unusual as far as humans and human nature. Uh, I just thrive on it. And, you know, like I say, I don't close doors. Um, the unusual and eclectic are just as normal to me as daylight and nighttime. I just thrive on that. Uh, I have a very curious nature. And so I'm somewhat a misfit in this. You'll find a lot of people are locked into one thing and they stay with it, but not me. Uh, (laughs) I'm good to go on whatever comes along. (laughs) We appreciate that. Okay, Ben's got a, got a question, I guess, here. Okay, so um, what other Sasquatch reports are from Kentucky besides the ones you mentioned? Goodness, man. Um, there is, uh, uh, in uh, in my uh, DVD and in the book, you can read about Lynn Hutton. He and his son were walking back a, a road, old road there in Anderson County, and all of a sudden, 15 feet or so in front of them, this creature walks out of a cedar 
a little cedar woods called a cedar thicket, and, and stops. I mean, this is one of the most compelling stories and accounts that anyone is ever going to hear about uh, a sighting of a Bigfoot. Um, they froze. They looked at each other. And the creature, this is what got me about the story. The creature walked backwards into the cedar thicket. It, it, it didn't panic, didn't freak out, it just walked back. And Lynn Hutton and his son just turned and left 15 feet away. They described it as having long, matted hair, uh, large, large creature. But as I sit there and we filmed Lynn and talked to him, I will assure you this, that that is one of the most believable and credible accounts I've ever heard, and I've heard a few. But but then they go from western Kentucky to central Kentucky, all over the state, the reports come in. Uh, my friend Charlie Raymond owns KentuckyBigfoot.com, and that is a true treasure chest of reports uh, from, from Kentucky. There's all kinds of bizarre reports of different uh, physiological aspects of the creature, different things happening like, uh, I believe it was Paul asked earlier about a tingling or any kind of sensation. You'll hear those things, different stories, different people, different events. But Kentucky is very likely going to be the state where the, the validity comes from. Like I said earlier this year, well, there was reason I said that. And, and, and believe me, some things are getting ready to happen with evidence that are really going to stun the world. So you have some inside information on that? Uh, I don't know if it's actually that. I, I do have a lot of I have a lot of information. I can't really talk about it, unfortunately. But there there is a project uh, that's getting to be released, hopefully soon, that is going to have um, some of the most amazing footage ever seen. There's also images that are getting ready, hopefully, to come out of Kentucky that are going to stun the world. These are just uh, amazing, amazing images from what I've been told. So it looks like this, and there's also other images that are getting ready to come out that I'm aware of. Um, I, I, I think that we're going to see a lot of just amazing evidence as far as visual and so forth. But on the other side of that coin, unfortunately, uh, probably for the creature itself, nothing's probably going to convince people until there's a body or a live capture. You, and yeah. I'm, I'm not about, I, and I'm just not about either of those. Yeah. Uh, I don't have any trouble in capture, examine, analyze, get all the information you need, release, uh, and let this, let this magnificent, uh, creature go back to where it belongs but unfortunately i, I have a bad feeling about about that yeah I, I tend to agree yeah i'd be like et all over again but real quick have you ever done any research into like the native american view of bigfoot uh the there's different different stories and mentioning of that i think you would have to go out into the western part of the country the the name Sasquatch, uh, now this is what is being said. I don't have anything to factually verify this, but it was coined between 1925, I think, and 1930 from uh, 
a Salish language, which would have been a little-known Native American language. And it meant Harry John. Uh, so that's kind of where these saying Sasquatch came from. There's other terms. But you can look at um, uh, Take, T-A-K hyphen H-E, as a North American uh, Native uh, legend, uh, or Sasquatch, same thing, both mean Harry John. And the, the Native Americans collectively, I think this is in a spiritual sense, like a guardian of the woods would be a, a, a spiritual uh, interpretation of this creature. Uh, like I say, it's very diverse, but you'll find mention of the, 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 the king, let's see, what is that, the king of the uh, mountain, uh, the big man of the mountain, uh, terms such as that, uh, interpreted from uh, ancient Native American uh, teachings and so forth. So, yes, it's prevalent, but there's very, it's somewhat, somewhat um, not really uh, validated as specifics. I just consider it very a spiritual, considered a spiritual creature by the Native Americans and, and looked upon very highly. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about families of big, have, have there been any reports in Kentucky or, any, or anywhere else, you know, of oh, uh, families yes. or a, a culture that they might have, interaction among themselves? Uh, what have you learned yes. about that? Well, you could take the famous Albert Osman uh, case as a prime example. And uh, what a story. Albert Osman claimed in uh, 1924 to have been kidnapped by a family of Sasquatch. Hmm. And it's a fascinating story. And as you can imagine, the, the trenches were dug and the, and the, uh, <laughs> the people on both sides of the story stood their stance. <laughs> uh, some declared it to be an absolute, just total nonsense, and others believe it's very factual. But it was a, a male female, a young male, and a young female. And uh, I, I've heard other stories of family units. Uh, I've actually got a case where another man claims to be kidnapped uh, by uh, Sasquatch. But the family units, yes. Um, there's been, there was a, I'm trying to remember, there was a story many years ago where a family was throwing rocks at some loggers. I believe that was maybe Washington State. Or too, yeah. Northern California. I'd have to just look that up real quick, but I believe I'm correct on that. But yes, it seems as though the the family unit is part of this this creature's uh, existence, and I don't know about a, a group, a multi-group family units. Um, I just don't know about that. That's interesting to think that if the population was uh, very, very large, that that would almost been a necessity uh, because that would seem to be something that a, 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 a creature like this would be uh, likely to do. Okay. Well, that certainly makes sense. Well, as as this this uh, information comes down and as more can be revealed, I hope you'll um, consider doing so on this show, or at least some of it. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. We'll be Anytime. in touch. Okay, uh, Ben, I got, do you want to broaden out the discussion a little bit here? Okay. 
So what research have you done on UFOs? Yeah, some people relate UFOs to Bigfoot. I don't know if you do. Well, there, there, there are some cases out there where somebody said uh, there was a UFO sighted, and then we saw Bigfoot. And I think that's just about the extent of it, and there have been several, and I don't think there's anything really correlating that. Um, I have been an avid UFO uh, researcher for so long, I can't even remember how long. <laughs> um, it's just been something that fascinates me. I have really been involved online for years and years. Um, every story that came up, I was uh, really involved in the Serpo, Project Serpo, uh, when that uh, phenomena hit the world. What was that and, about? Oh, that was about an exchange program between uh, our planet and Zeta Reticula. Uh, it was just look up Project Serpo for everybody listening, and if you've got a couple of years that you don't have anything to do, you could read about that. <laughs> it, it was mind-boggling. It just, it was just unbelievable. But uh, I was a coast-to-coast fanatic with Art Bell, and so as anybody that has been down that road, uh, everything that came up, I couldn't get enough information on anything in Kentucky that came up. Uh, and I had some just uh, really, really strange sightings in Kentucky uh, of a UFO uh, that seems to be a recurring event uh, of these red lights that form a triangle uh, and move through the sky. I actually saw that. Mm-hmm. And... Like I say, it's just been a fascination. I've just consumed, and I still do. Um, I still do read everything I can about it. I'm not as active in that community. That, that when you get into the UF community, oh, uh, study world, I told somebody this not too long ago that asked me to become involved in a major TV uh, venture into the world of UFO study, and I said, "Well, I'll tell you, it's very complicated." And it's also very dangerous, and it is, because you're going to get into areas where there's there's groups and organizations that don't want you looking. Tell that's us a about fact. it. Yeah, you're right. That's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we did, uh, as you may know, I don't know, we did 16 hours on the air on uh, CBS and on uh, uh, an Internet station with uh, Nick Pope and uh, Major, mm-hmm. uh, I should say, Colonel Charles Halt and all the people right. from the Rendlesham case mm-hmm. about the Rendlesham case on the occasion of the 70th anniversary. And we had all sorts of bizarre things happen to <laughs> us and around us. Yeah, I have too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I so, got digging a little bit too deep in the wrong places. And yeah? Next oh, thing yeah. I found out, there was people looking at me. Yeah, there are certain people. Ghosts, they don't seem to mind. We talk about that, we don't have any problems. We have <laughs> some of these. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't have to tell you. You know exactly what I'm talking about, all kinds of I know exactly. I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. And it's almost as if they're trying to draw attention because the interference is so obvious that, that, that it can't be ignored. I, I don't know. I don't know what your feelings are on that, but uh, unfortunately. Well, I, I firmly believe that um, there are. See, what would the term be to use here? Uh, there are organizations, let's say, mm-hmm. that monitor uh, the research, and if you uh, start looking in the wrong place, they're going to give you a little hint to go someplace to look. That, that's well put. That's about it. So, mm-hmm. Ben, uh, what's... Okay, so how about ghosts and poltergeists? Have you done any research on that? 
Oh, yes. Oh, a great deal. I used to be a tenacious ghost hunter. Oh, guys, sometime if you're going to have a ghost story show, give me a call. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it happens oh, now yeah. and then. Yeah. Um, but that that is just like another thing. I'm just totally captivated by it. Mm-hmm. I, if I used to hear any story, if somebody said, well, did you ever hear about these people that saw this? I was there as quick as I could get there. And this was in the Kentucky, uh, in central Kentucky area. Um, but I have absolutely encountered apparitions and perhaps, perhaps maybe the, the biggest encounter I've had at all, of all time. I, I've been face to face with it. And I mean pure evil. And that really made me sit back and rethink a lot of things. Um, it was, it's a long story. It, it's a, it's a, a story that people never forget once I tell it. But as I say, guys, I went into a house that I'd heard about. And the next day when I went back to do a second trip there, uh, at night, I went face to face with pure evil. Yeah, we've been there, done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we've we've all done that. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, yeah. but you have to. It's not a matter of just coming face to face. It's knowing how to deal with it as well. And with thirty right. years behind you, you probably know for sure. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, Philip, tell us about uh, your book and DVD and where people can get it. Oh, and let, before you do, let me just re- remind readers that if you go to our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, there is a link to the Talking Points page. And right on the top for this show is uh, some information about um, Philip's book and, and about him. So uh, you can look at that. But, Philip, tell us where uh, people can get the book and the DVD. Okay, sure will. Well, you can go to uh, my website, which is... Uh philipspencer.net or .com, and that's philip with one L. And there's links there to Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. And if you just go to uh, any search engine, you put my name in with the word Bigfoot, or you put in the title of the book, The Wild Men of Kentucky, The Mystery of Panther Rob. There are numerous outlets where you can get the book and the DVD. And um, it, it's a really... A lot of people could think the book maybe just be about Bigfoot and the DVD, but it's not. There is just a plethora of, of strange incidents going on in this in this area, and you'll get to not only on the DVD you'll see the people's testimonies, and in the book you can read about the specifics, the historical aspects of the area, and all the cases going on. And like I say, guys, I've got active cases in this area now that are just as strange as these others. And I, I expect that to be ongoing, and there's a chance that I may return to the Fraser land with cameras in hand. Ah, well, very good. Well, Philip, it's been delightful to have you. We're definitely going to have you back, and uh, we'll expand on some of your other paranormal ideas as well. And as I say, I hope you'll consider us when you, the big revelations come down about Bigfoot. And thank you so much. All right, guys. Yes. Thank you both so much. It's been, a, been great being here with you. I enjoyed it, and I hope all the listeners enjoyed it, too. I'm sure they did. Oh, yes. Thanks again. Thank you. Okay. All right. Take care. Very good. You too. Now, we wanted to get to, uh, as we come down to our last few minutes here, uh, one or two emails that... Oh, uh, the, okay, well, technical difficult. Okay. 
This is um, this is from Katie in Seattle, and uh, I think it's precious. Go ahead, Ben. Okay, so Katie writes to us. We moved into this house three and a half years ago. Everything was fine until a few weeks ago. Things that we didn't own started appearing in the house. First, there was a silver tray, uh, then an antique dish, then some other stuff. We had no idea where it came from. Then a neighbor uh, we didn't know very well got talking to my dad in the driveway and came in for a beer. He said, hey, that's my wife's tea tray. I thought my dad was going to die from embarrassment. <laughs> it turns out that all the stuff belongs to different neighbors. And how how is this happening? And how do you explain it? How do we explain it to the neighbors? Love your show, by the way. <laughs> yeah, the great KJAQ in Seattle are on uh, Sunday nights there. Uh, oh, I, I, this is, I have heard of this sort of thing before, and I don't mean to laugh at your problem, Katie, but it just, th- these things can be really interesting and very, indeed, very embarrassing. Uh, one thing I would point out, and, and she entitles this Klepto Ghost. All right. One thing I would point out is that, it, and everybody assumes that there are spirits or entities of some kind or multidimensional critters doing this deliberately. We find that's not necessarily the case. When you live in an area where there are many energies, such as, well, as in our Connecticut case, worlds coming together, it's sort of that particular house is kind of a grand central station of various uh, intersections of various multiversal worlds, various dimensions, whatever you want to call them, where different facts occur, you can have exchanges of information and material because, because the multiverse seems to be an open system. It's not like Hollywood would have you believe you leap from one to the other and you can create an imbalance. That's not necessarily the case. So I'm, I'm going to say that, that you could have energies in this area uh, that are creating this problem. It's not necessarily anybody or anything doing it deliberately. Let me ask you this. Katie, get back in touch with us if this is the case. If... You, you may find that objects have appeared that have not disappeared from the houses they came from. I'll say that again. You may find duplicate objects appearing in your house that, that may be duplicates of objects in your neighbor's house. And I, now, I don't know, you didn't go any, into any detail of, of, about how many, how many objects there were, what they were, which neighbors were missing them. But I would say, let us know if there's anything that has uh, been duplicated, if you can find that out without having the neighbors think you're crazy, uh, which is a, that can be a problem. But let us know about that. But I think you might not necessarily be dealing with an entity, but just simply with energies in your area. And you will probably find that other people are having weird things going on, too. These energies can move. They can change. Uh, they, they, will ha- they will have something to do, perhaps, with the, the, the height of the water table in on your lot or, or in the area, in the neighborhood, or even in the town, uh, the presence of high-tension wires, uh, things of that kind, or the kind of soil, if you have sandy or clay soil, uh, that can affect the conductivity of electromagnetic fields, which can wreak havoc with space-time. Oddly enough, that's what we find. That, that's why we would always bring uh, the late Joe Frisella with us in some of my earlier cases uh, in, in this decade when uh, he could tell about the water table things. He was a hydrologist. Anyway, uh, th- this is what I would ask you to tell us, but I, I, I do su- we do sympathize with your position. I have heard of this before, but the neighbor, hey, that's my wife's tea tray. you got to love it. Anyway, let us know. Keep us posted on it. Let us know if you have any duplicate objects because, th- because that would be a dead giveaway, pardon the, any kind of pun, that you would be dealing with uh, something that's uh, parallel universe related. Okay? 
Uh, this is from Brittany DeMeo in Phoenix. Speaking uh, of the multiverse. Speaking of using full names, uh, I found your. Oh dear, here I go again. I found your recent description of how we live in the multiverse really interesting. Could you say that we all pass through a wormhole that we consider past, uh, consider past to future, but that if we leave the wormhole, we get into worlds we're not supposed to be in, and weird things start to happen? It sounds like you've seen Donnie Darko too many times. <laughs> Well, according to you, you can't see Diamond Darko too many times. Well, I know, but like... It's I know what you mean. Yeah. Whatever. All right. Well, the, the term wormhole is, uh, as I understand it, is a sort of a uh, place-to-place kind of transport method, or I'm not going to say system or whatever. I don't know if it's adequate to describe uh, the passage we make through various worlds, but I think what you're getting at is uh, an understanding, which I think is correct, of how these well, Dr. Work Fred works. Allen Wolf put it, it as like you're flipping through like a bunch of pictures all at once. Like yeah. after everything you do, it's like going through a different parallel universe all the time. So every second, every millisecond, everything you do, every action, every breath, whatever in- interval of time you want, it's you're going through different multiverses all the time. Exactly. Uh, if you want to say that every instant, every mil- nanosecond, or whatever you want to call, it, is actually uh, like a photograph. And you're passing through them all the time, such as in the old Nickelodeons when they would flip the photographs and look as if they were moving. That's how our consciousness, our, our group consciousness, by the way, as a species, seems to organize things. And um, I think that that is what you're getting at. And, yeah, I, I, I think that's true. And, and w- when you get out of that pack of pictures and things change radically, that can happen. That's happened to you. Then I think we can uh, we can say that, yeah, you're... Uh, you're, you're, you're getting into another area, perhaps a portal, something like that. So, yeah, we can get into that more. We're, we're running out of time here. So, in any case, uh, what do we got there, Mr. Producer? Okay. Uh, All right. Okay, so, so it's up to you, and you're on the wrong page. No, no, no. We got, this, this, was a, this is messed up. Anyway, uh, we do... Uh, Direct you toward our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. You can see all sorts of stuff about uh, guests and things of that kind. Uh, coming and past, and uh, there are also uh, coming up on, geez, 250 or more uh, free podcasts you can get of all shows and all our different channels, things of this kind. So anyway, we thank our producer, Steve Bianchi, and we'll see you next Monday, Monday, uh, I should say May 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern. For Pacific, right here on WON 1240 AM and com. Uh, Ben and I will take the hour to continue the discussion we started last week on what is heaven. So it's what is heaven part two. This will include popular perceptions of the afterlife. So send us your ideas, paul at behindtheparanormal.com. All right, so in the meantime, turn to our Sunday evening CBS edition in Boston, Detroit, Seattle, and online at www.newskyradio.com on May 8th when my dad and I will welcome award-winning scientist and journalist Linda Molden Howe for a new look at crop circles. And remember, you can always get free podcasts of all our shows along with show schedules and guest information at www.behindtheparanormal.com. Okay, now in the meantime, we leave you with a quote from that lovable old sage Benjamin Franklin. Uh, The Constitution only guarantees the American people the right to pursue happiness. You have to catch it yourself. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.